Hey everybody, we're this week on Past Deadline, we're going to dive in depth on the stabbing that happened at Wayside last weekend and talk a little bit about what that's like reporting on that. We've got Dylan, the editor-in-chief here, and a couple of the reporters who actually went out and went to the scene and, you know, figured out what was up. So hello everybody, I'm Dylan Getz, editor-in-chief of Central Michigan Life. Um, pretty crazy news weekend this weekend, um, Saturday night. Uh, everybody at CMU got the central alert that um, there was a stabbing that took place at Wayside. Um, it was, I'm not sure when the first call, I think it was just after midnight or around yeah, midnight sometime. Yeah, I right around midnight. Yeah, um, it said there was a stabbing. It said that uh, there was a suspect um, who had not been caught or detained or anything, um, who he was described as a Native American male. Um, so right away, right when we got the call, um, the same call that everybody else got, essentially, we reported that information on our social medias. Um, you know, I, <laughs> we were, uh, a couple of lifers were all actually hanging out. So I ran back to, to my house to grab my computer to yeah. start posting on social media and start kind of, um, start the dialogue on, on, online and our, on our website and everything. Um, and then we sent Melissa Frick, who's one of our reporters, and uh, Andrew Mullen, another one of our reporters, to the scene right away to try to get more information. So um, <laughs> actually when they got there, they realized that a third reporter, Michael Livingston, was a hardy. Uh, he didn't tell anybody, but he got the call and he was like, oh, crap, you know, we got to go. We got to go cover this. We got to go figure out yeah. what's going on. So, so like, is this the first time in, in your time here that you've had a breaking news situation quite like this? <laughs> Um, this is really the first one, first kind of big one that we've had as I've been editor in chief, but I, I mean, I worked here, uh, you know, during the March, March 2nd shooting, yeah. which was obviously huge, um, right. you know, very extensive coverage of that. Um, so I, I feel like my experience, I was only, I think I was only a sophomore. So my experience kind of watching my editors handle that yeah. and deal with that was really good for, um, an experience like this, you know, right away, I knew that we should be, we as CM life should be collecting yeah. all the information we should. So not only having people there, you know, at the scene, but if, if anybody was, you know, at O'Kelly's or at Wayside that last night, like, let's reach out to our friends, right. see what they, you know, if they saw anything or, you know, let's, you know, right away when a breaking news moment hits like that, you kind of just like, you know, you, you kind of put the emotions aside and you're like, okay, we have to get as much information as we can and, you know, report what we know to be, uh, to be true and accurate. So, um, there was a lot of information that we gathered, you know, yeah. even like video content and stuff like that, that we just, you know, didn't publish because we couldn't confirm it, verify it, stuff right. like that. But, uh, you know, in, in moments like that, you just try to get everything you can. Um, obviously, you know, the official reports from police is typically what you see um, because that's what ends up most, most of the time being accurate. Right. Um, one of the things that happened last or that night that uh, a lot of people are kind of concerned with on social media is originally the central alert identified this subject as a Native American male with, right. a, I think, a tan shirt. Yeah, it was like a tan shirt, red yeah. baseball hat. which uh, we later found out that that was completely incorrect. Um, it was an African-American male with a white shirt on, or a white sweatshirt on, who actually had, like, blood on the white sweatshirt, yeah. so you could tell. Um, 
So the and and we reported the information that was provided to us right away. So central yeah. alert that comes from CMU police. So we attributed the Native American subject description to uh, CMU police right away, and that and then right away when we got to the scene, we were speaking with uh, Mount Pleasant police and some other um, you know authority figures at the scene who were saying there was a lot of conflicting reports. And they right. they did not confirm the Native American um, uh, description. So right. in that case, we updated it as quickly as we can. Said there's conflicting reports. You know, uh, they didn't want us. You know, they didn't give a new report. Yeah. But you know, our job is to take the official information and just kind of disseminate it. Right. So. Right. Uh, like a central alert is literally just as reliable as having a cop tell you like. This is what happened, you know. In, yeah, I mean, in they're already case. telling every student. On <laughs> exactly. Campus, so, yeah. So, and that's something. Uh, that's one of the things you know we're trying to follow up with police is like how how did this you know description come out that was so yeah. wrong? You know, it wasn't like a Native American. Like we we could describe skin color and um, you know like the the look of a person without saying they're native american you know like right. you can describe what somebody looks like without saying you know they're uh, muslim or you know like something like you know like yeah um it's just kind of it was weird that it was wildly inaccurate you know what i mean yeah that that is one of the things that i found you know most odd is i get the mm-hmm. call at 12 and i hear it and then you know later you see the suspect mm-hmm. who's arrested and you're like, yeah, like this doesn't really line up, you yeah. know, like what happened, what yeah. happened to, uh, this subject description? How did it get so wrong? Yeah. And usually you think like they kind of hold those things off until right. they have like, a better idea. Yeah. Cause you don't want to release the incorrect information. Then, yeah, I mean, I mean then, imagine if you were like a native American happened to wear, be wearing a tan exactly. shirt and a red hat, like you'd be done for. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the thing that, you know. We're trying to follow up with CMU police now because they haven't said anything up yeah. to up to, you know, we're recording this on Wednesday morning. They haven't said anything to us about how this went so wrong. I guess the the description and the subject description went so wrong. So, you know, from our perspective, um, you know, we wouldn't do it any other way. We got official information. We reported. Yeah. I mean, you can't really. Yeah, it, it's it. Thousands of people got the same information we got. Right. You know, it's a, it was it was a central alert. So every every student enrolled got that call, whether they picked it up or not. Right. Um, you know, so right away we when we got to the scene when we were able to ask questions because the central alert. I mean, you can't like hit them back. <laughs> um, right away when we were able to ask questions, we wanted to confirm that. Turns out that that was not the case. They had conflicting reports. Uh, so we, you know, we tidied that up and we updated the story. We updated our audiences on social media, things like that. So, yeah, yeah, we're we're kind of we're kind of waiting around and and asking CMUPD, waiting waiting for them to address it. Um, but like I said before, you know, our our job is to share that official information, right? And I think that's what we did really well. Um, from an from an editor's perspective, you know, like a couple of days later, I was able to kind of take a look back about how everything went, and you know, I was proud of the staff for everybody kind of stepping up. Uh, you know, that night, you know, right away after we got the call, we made, I threw together a little group chat um, on Facebook so we could all communicate. Right. Um, so it was 
me, Melissa, and Andrew right away because those were the three that I knew were working on it. Yeah. Uh, you know, by the end of the night, there was at least 10 or 12 people in there who were providing information, sharing information. Yeah. Uh, making sure we got uh, all the all of our bases covered, I guess. So, you know, there was people posting to YouTube uh, videos of interviews with police. There was people helping us out by gathering information about, you know, their friend's roommate who went to the bar tonight and, and said they, you know, they saw like a fight or something, you right. know, like there was a lot of collaboration and it was, it was, you know, like it was good to see that and good to see people who would, you know, step up and, you know, really kind of, um, do their best to inform the community, which which is what we're out to do. So right, especially in a situation like this, where there's a handful of hours where the, the yeah. suspects at large, and you don't necessarily know like what right, yeah, what's yeah, going to happen next. <laughs> so the uh, one of the things I learned from being here during the March second shooting was um, the suspect then was kind of at large for like a few hours if yeah. i remember correctly it was like six or so at least right it was like there was a good chunk of the day where yeah you know we didn't know where he was so and i really didn't know what to expect because i didn't you know i didn't know like the actual leads that the police had yeah but um it turned out that uh the suspect he um, walked in his dorm with blood on his shirt and somebody called the police and it yeah. turned out to, you know, they made the arrest and detained him then. But, um, you know, I was kind of preparing everybody in that group chat, like, Hey, like we're going to have to, you know, this is the wee hours of the morning by now. It's like one, one thirty. So, right. um, we're going to have to stay up and, and alert our community. You know, anytime we get an update, it, you know, if this takes like 10 hours before they detain, this person who, yeah. who you know, supposedly stabbed three people, like, we're going to have to kind of prepare for, for anything here. So, right. and that was really refreshing. You know, our staff was, you know, perfectly open to that kind of thing. Luckily, I mean, uh, they they detained the suspect not only, it must have been about two hours after we got the first call. So we got another central alert. Yeah. But, um, so yeah, that was kind of the end of it. Uh, breaking news, I guess. Um Obviously, we got to follow up in the next couple of days with his arraignment and confirming the suspect's name and all that kind of stuff. But um, we really hopped to it. I, I mean, I'm I'm proud of that, at least. Right. And I think uh, one of the more interesting things about this was that Wayside stayed open. Yeah. And I think if you, you know, if you didn't go through the story or you mm -hmm. didn't understand it, you might think, like, a stabbing just happened there. Yeah. Why? Yeah, so that was another kind of area area of concern for most of our audience. We reported right. that um we reported that Wayside and O'Kelly's was staying open and um we later found out that uh it was actually better for police to to do it that way, to stay open because it, it didn't cause, you know, this mass like panic. It didn't cause everybody to like you know, freak out and run away. It was easier yeah. to kind of track suspects that way. Yeah. Um, you know, it was kind of traumatizing for the people who were there in the moment yeah, and, and right had to there. see some of the stuff that happened. I mean, the description in the affidavit from his arraignment is pretty graphic. Yeah, that's gruesome stuff. Um, but it actually helped the police, like, because there was, you know, no longer were they dealing with, you know, 300, like, drunk kids. Like, it was, like, we're dealing with a couple drunk kids. Yeah. 
three who are injured, one who we're trying to identify as the subject, you know. So um, it seemed very, you know, from the outside looking in, uh, it's kind of like, wow, like, isn't that a crime scene, you know? Like, this kind of seems weird. Um, But it actually turned out to to help the police, which which is kind of surprising. You know, we, we... published that information uh, in our interview, which we did with police on the spot of the scene. And, you know, it kind of caught some people off guard. Like, you know, I I wouldn't have expected that. A lot of people were just, you know, like kind of using it as as an opportunity to like play a joke. Like, you know, like um, nothing can shut that place down. You know, like there was a lot of people on social media saying that. And, you know, obviously that was kind of uncalled for, you know, in my opinion, like, is this really a joking matter type stuff, right, you know? Like, there's plenty of other times you could take shots at Wayside O'Kelly's. Maybe maybe not today. Right, like, come on, guys. But, yeah. Um, so, yeah, they stayed open until I think they nor- they normally shut down at 2 a.m. anyway. Yeah. So shortly after 2 a.m., obviously they shut down. And um, it was just that kind of period for 30, 45 minutes when – we knew the stabbing had happened inside of Wayside and they were like still kind of operating, you know, they didn't like kick everybody out for right. example. And it actually turned out helping police. So, I mean, you know, right. from that perspective, I mean, it's, right. it's not the worst thing. So there's actually, so Andrew Mullen, one of the people who are on the scene helping us that day, he is today, he is Wednesday. He is, um, following up with John Hunter, who owns O'Kelly's and Wayside. He's a local business owner here. Um, about some of the changes that Wayside's been making um, in light of, uh, you know, the stabbing. Uh, so they want to increase safety. Um, I'll just read off here uh, kind of like a press release that Wayside sent out on their social media. Uh, you know, this is, I'll quote this to Wayside, um, we're continuing to share our thoughts and prayers with the victims. Um, and then here's some security updates that we've made. Uh, they're going to be adding a couple different safety measures, including uh, handheld metal detectors at uh, the points of entry. Um, oversized bags, they're going to be checked as well at, you know, the point of entry, right. I, I assume. Um you know, they're going to keep using their radio system with the security guards. You can, I mean, if you've ever been O'Kelly's uh, or Wayside before, each of the bouncers, they have, you know, earpieces in which yeah. they communicate. So um, they're taking a look at the risk management plan, employee handbook for policies, procedures, um, continued use of their, it said, 32 camera security system. So, and, and then they're investing in 16 more cameras to cover all the angles. So uh, they're buying more cameras to kind of monitor what's going on. And then um, additional employee meetings to discuss, plan, and evaluate future security protocols and training. So um, just a little bit more safety training, um, being a little bit more precautious, um, definitely good signs. I mean, you know, obviously what happened that night, uh, you, you never want to see a stabbing or anybody get hurt. Right. Um, but the fact that Wayside is kind of taking some action to try to curtail that in the future is definitely right. a good sign. Did the stabbing actually happen inside of Wayside or was it outside in the parking lot of it? It, it was inside. Okay. Um, 
We actually, uh, we have not, so the reason we know that is actually not through, um, police didn't tell us whether it was inside or outside. Um, not that I remember. I mean, maybe like indirectly through on the scene, but I was not on the scene. I was, I was updating through right. um, my computer. So um, I'm not sure if they told us right away that it happened inside. We figured out later that it happened inside. Yeah. But uh, we had a few people who were actually, like, I had a few contacts, friends of mine, and uh, senior life staffers who were in uh, O'Kelly's and Wayside at the time when it happened. Uh, So they were able to kind of provide some background context, you know, um, which, uh, and and even there was another instance, too, which kind of confirms this to us, but... Um, when we were posting stories on social media, uh, somebody replied with a with a video of blood. So you know, obviously, yeah. we tried to get that removed right away. It was very gory and graphic. Right. Um, but I mean, you could tell that, that know, had something happened. had yeah. happened inside. Um, and then you know, we later found out like that is what happened. It happened inside. Yeah. You know, they they mopped it up and cleaned it up. So I mean, there wasn't like you know, people all over dancing yeah. and, you know, yeah, this stuff. Yeah. But, um, yeah, yeah. For sure. Anything else particularly about this case that stuck out to you? or? No, I think, um, you know, this kind of teaches. We want to, obviously, at, at this university, CM Life, we're not only providing information, but we're learning how to provide information yeah. as students in journalism. So... Uh, this is a good opportunity for some of our students to learn how to work a breaking news, you know, uh, situation like that. Yeah. Um, you kind of just go into this mode of like, I have to collect the most information I can, yeah. uh, you know, and I have to report the official, official information that I receive. So, um, a lot of people kind of hop to it and ran right to the scene when they could and yeah. and wanted to assist. So uh, that was refreshing. And I think overall CM Life did a really good job of um, kind of educating the public about what happened that night, not only in our breaking news coverage, but, yeah. you know, the next couple of days too because we had the follow-up after it was arraigned Monday. And, you know, and we'll continue to cover this, you know, for the for the upcoming couple of weeks. So, um, so yeah. So what more right now do are we working on? So yeah, like I kind of mentioned earlier, the ones Andrew uh, Mullen is interviewing, talking to John Hunter about some of those uh, safety updates. He's kind of getting his perspective, kind of like second day angle. Like, hey, you know, were you there that night? What you know? Could you you provide anything that happened? Um, What have you talked to your staff about since then? Yeah. Um, you know, because I'm sure they met probably the next day to discuss, you know, the incident and and how it was handled and everything. So uh, just kind of following up with him, obviously. Um, and then, you know, Octavius, who ended up being the, the subject, who was arrested, his uh, charges, he was charged with, um, let's see, three counts of, at- of assault with intent to murder and then two counts of carrying... Uh, a weapon with unlawful uh, intent. So we'll be following up that, of course, throughout the court process and whether this goes to um, trial or not, we don't know yet. 
but we'll be we'll be following up with that too so yeah that's crazy are there any repercussions just in general as a cmu student for this too like i mean i guess it's tough to say i mean some would say yes some would say no i mean the thing about cmu and ways like obviously cmu did their best to kind of like distance themselves from this right like they didn't want to be associated with a stabbing that was just off campus i mean anybody who's ever gone here and any student now knows how important wayside and o'kelly's is to student life i mean even if they don't like the place they know like it's a place that people go and it's yeah i mean it's important you know student life at cmu wouldn't be the same without it you know what i mean um so you know the university they they kind of they updated people as they could with their central alert. Yeah. Um, I just think that, uh, the one biggest kind of learning opportunity there is the subject description. Yeah. And not, not learning opportunity for, um, for students and for people of that live in Mount Pleasant, but a learning opportunity for, uh, CME PD as in like, how do we come to these decisions and like, like, should we describe this subject as this person if we're not 100% sure yeah, like on what it? led to that? And yeah, yeah. So, and and that's actually, you know, I forgot to mention this, but that's um, one other thing we're trying to follow up with, with police. Melissa Frick is, is working on that right now. Uh, just kind of like a, how did this happen um, yeah. kind of piece. So, yeah. Cool. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming on. Yeah, yeah, no problem. Uh, I hope it goes well with, uh, with, your other guests and appreciate you having me so thanks again to dylan getz our editor-in-chief that was his experience on it and now i have associate editor Sarah Kellner and staff reporter Andrew Mullen here with me. Technically, uh, senior reporter. Senior Don't reporter. Me here. <laughs> so, take me to, I guess, individually where you guys were when you got the call and then what your response was to that. All right. Do you mind if I go first? Your story is much more interesting, Andrew. Go right so, ahead. <laughs> um, mine's a little shorter. Um, so, I was literally just sitting at my home um, with my two roommates and. Um, My boyfriend and his roommate, we were all just hanging out. We were, like, playing video games, watching TV, and, um, you know, just chilling. And then um, my boyfriend's roommate got a phone call from a 989 number, which he doesn't get very many of. And he answered it and, like, you know, really loud in the speaker, this is a central alert. Um, And so he immediately turned it on speaker for the rest of us. And it played the message about there was a stabbing at Wayside. Um, And so immediately everyone around me started getting really nervous. And I, like, without even thinking, just grabbed my laptop, um, which was just over to the side, immediately Mm. pulled out my laptop, pulled up Facebook, and started working on a social media post because – Working at CM Life, we've basically been trained the second you get information like that, you need to get it out right away because right. everybody is going to start asking you about it if you don't. So I um, 
apparently Dylan was doing this simultaneously. He started posting on Twitter. I started posting on Facebook. And then we finally, like, talked and we're like, oh, wait, oh, we already got it all good. Um, Then Dylan started a group chat and we were just, uh, he and I were really um, taking care of stuff from our homes, um, coordinating. Uh, He was working on getting people... Uh, to go to the scene, and then I was doing some stuff in the background. I started uh, making drafts on our content management system for people to start plugging stuff in. Mm -hmm. I had people sending me information that I was plugging in, so I was um, sort of working on, like, stories from behind the scenes while also trying to... uh, keep everybody in my home calm. Yeah. Of course, of course, they started laughing the second I pulled out my laptop. They're like, There's, there goes the journalist just yeah. reporting already. It's been like 30 seconds. <laughs> um, and then we, you know, while we were waiting for information, we sat and ate pie and just hung out waiting to see what was going to happen. Um, yeah, I was kind of in a different situation. Um, I was actually... Um, at, at the bird with a uh, fellow senior reporter, Melissa Frick. She's kind of our cops and beat reporter for, for the school year. So this is definitely on her domain. And uh, we were actually, I think we we're pretty much probably ready to leave. Um, I, funny enough, I think Mel is actually uh, talking about going to a Kelly's. Kind of glad we didn't do that because we both got a call. And I saw it was like a 989 number. And the fact that we were both getting it at like 12, so then back my head went like, oh, this is the central alert and something's wrong. Yeah. So. I, I tried listening to it, but I couldn't hear it. I, I had pretty bad hearing. But uh, she picked it up. She looked at me, and she's like, dude, there's a there was a stabbing at Wayside. And we're like, we immediately just grabbed our coats. We, we, we told um, other managing editor, Evan Petzold, hey, this is what's happening. Uh, we told him where we're going. So we, we booked it. I was probably, we'll say, loosely following the speed limits, going over to Wayside, going down, downtown, trying to get there. Um, uh, I... I, I just, like, kind of stopped in the parking lot, let, it, let milk it out, and then I found a parking space and ran over, tried to talk to cops, t- took, was taking some photos. That was kind of generally what ha- generally happened that night. It was a big old rush, and I didn't go to sleep till like, 3, 3.30 in the morning. I think I slept in the office, too. So uh, that was kind of my experience that night. Um, yeah, so. What was the scene like when you first got there? Um, there was, I, I remember, I remember seeing, like, just going, going down a mission. Um, I, I could already see the ambulance, ambulance lights flashing. Um, by the time I got there, um, I, I saw a lot of cop cars, uh, lots of, lots of headlights going around everywhere. I think I saw one girl kind of, like, kneeling down, kind of crying and, you know, obviously grieving over what just happened. Yeah. Um, didn't, didn't see a lot of that from my understanding, a lot of this, uh, kids inside the bar didn't know at the time that it was happening. I mean, yeah. I mean it's stabbing. It's it's not like a gunshot. It's making noise. Right. It's just kind of, it's just kind of what happening. They're kind of slowly being let out of the bar so the police could interview them. Um, yeah, again, we were kind of kept to like a single corner of the parking lot um, for all the reporters. You know, really the only journalists, the only re- journalists were there was I think uh, me, Mel, and uh, one of our other reporters, Michael Livingston, as well as uh, someone from New Central. Uh, 34 is that the channel number yes so um yeah that's generally um it, it was it was just yeah it was just, there wasn't a lot of people coming out at once because i wasn't there when they when, when they shut it down um so it was just mainly the cops just out there and they're just interviewing people what's it like when you're covering a story like this and for both of you like at home knowing 
like there's no time limit on this. Like this could be ten you could be ten o'clock in the morning before this thing is done. Did you know that kind of like as you're going into it and expect that? Or Um, I mean when it first happens, you're not really thinking about when you're going to be done working right. on it. You're really just like in the moment, you're like, okay, this happened. I need to stay here until I've mm-hmm. got all of the information I'm going to be able to get. And then we're going to have to make plans later. So we weren't really coming up with that immediately. It wasn't until about 1.30, 2 a.m. that we started talking about what are our next steps right. going to be once things kind of died down a little bit and then pretty soon after that the suspect was apprehended so after that we knew like we're not dealing with an ongoing search anymore so now we can just start working on follow-ups so we had the arraignment the next day for the suspect um we're working on a couple follow-up stories currently um that'll be getting published early next week most likely just talking about you know how this has affected um, basically everybody within the community, both yeah. on campus and off. Um, I mean, yeah, pretty much what she said. Like, I wasn't really – until it was, like, 3.30 and I was super tired, I wasn't really thinking what time this was going to be done. In fact, as soon as I woke up, I essentially just went back trying to research. I yeah. was trying to research the, this because this, we we – while it wasn't official yet, we did find a, subject, a suspect online through, I think, like some sort of tracker online. I, police tracker? I don't know what you call it necessarily um um but we 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 kind of figured we knew who the suspect was i was trying to find any information on him uh on social media i i could not um that was kind of like my whole thing was just just at the moment the night it happened just just report until essentially he was detained and try to figure that out go to sleep and then the next morning just kind of just keep doing trying to figure out what else you can happen i mean you mean really like in that mindset you do as much as you can until you just kind of hit a wall and then right. um, kind of just wait mm-hmm. um, for what happens next. Yeah. So, again, time wasn't really a factor. If I was thinking about time, like, I, I could already tell, like, okay, this is going to require more follow-ups. This is going to require, like, you know, much longer, much longer span of reporting than just, you know, a, a, a night. So Right. And then I don't know what either of your involvements were in the shooting that happened a few years ago at campus, but... What did you learn, I guess, from that event, depending on how much you were involved, that translated here? I mean, I know Dylan said one of the things, like, when he and I talked is just watching people and editors and stuff at that time handle that crisis situation kind of taught him how to be in charge of this. Like, did that? Did you guys pick up anything on that? Um, so we actually, uh, all of my friends and I and my roommates, we were actually reminiscing about the shooting while, um, the search was going on just because that's exactly what it reminded us of. Um, we were all sophomores and juniors at the time. So like, we all still remember it pretty well. That was my second semester at CM Life when that happened. So I was still a really new reporter. So I wasn't involved in the coverage of that because it was right before spring break. So I had actually flown home the night before. Um, So I was just very carefully watching the coverage as it was going on. I mean, I my phone died twice that day because I was on social media all day, just keeping an eye on everything. But I remember um, just really admiring how well it was covered, especially by our editor in chief at the time, Jordan Hermony. She, um, you know, the second it happened, she 
uh, you know, pulled out her phone, got that Facebook post up. Yeah. We weren't even worrying about a story at the time. It was just you yeah. need to get it on social media, and then you work on a story later. Right. And um, watching her do all of those press conferences, she did so much live streaming, posted so many videos because yeah. Yeah. that was the easiest way to do it. Why would you write up a story when you can just tell the people what you know right. through a video format? So um, that was, I think, a really... Um, like cool way to cover that um at the time we didn't really need to do that here especially because it happened over the span of about three hours and also it was midnight nobody's going to be watching a facebook live stream at midnight but they will at 9 a.m yeah um on a friday um Um, i mean yeah i mean I, I, I kind of had the same experience uh, as Sarah, I was, I, except I was an even new reporter. That was my first semester okay. at CM Life, and I was a lowly old freshman here at CMU. So I, I was actually home in Brighton um, when, when, that, when that shooting happened back uh, a few years ago. Um, and I was watching yeah, CM Life's coverage, click on Detroit, I think I was doing a live stream as well. Um, so I was getting included to social media, so I had to go to work later that day. So, um, yeah, again, well, the part of me, I guess on a pers- more personal note, part of me was just always kind of, regretted not like asking what I can do because granted in that moment I was just like oh my god this is happening and I'm stuck here in Brighton and all that's happening in Mount Plus I didn't think to like even ask like hey is there anything I can do like anyone I can call for you guys while I was home so I guess my I guess I guess now that I have a lot more experience being a reporter um not not a ton of breaking news coverage but I guess just having more experience as a reporter is more my instincts to just run quickly to uh um to to the uh, to the scene and try to come up with follow follow up uh, story ideas later. So um, again, I, I I don't know if there's really much I learned from the shooting coverage yeah. um, because I wasn't really involved with that. But um, I mean, yeah, part of me was obviously remembering that as well and um, I guess applying whatever I could. Yeah. There, so I think the most important thing that we learned from that is the value of live updates. Um, in this case, we weren't doing like Facebook live videos, obviously, yeah. but we were tweeting every time we got a new piece of information, right. we were adding it to our Twitter thread. So we wanted to make sure people were staying as up to date as possible. And we were the only people who were able to get that kind of information from the police to be able to tell everybody else. It's not like every single person at that bar was yeah. able to go up and just ask yeah, the police. Ask. So yeah. um, we we really... You know, we're taking our role seriously and making sure people yeah. had the most accurate, up-to-date information that we could possibly get. And 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 and, and I think about it this way too. I mean, and this is not to like slam. The, it's not a slam in the morning sun at all. But like, I don't think the morning sun had anything up until the morning. And I, probably probably because I mean, we we as students are have essential news alert. I mean, we have that. We have the yeah. alert phone call, so we're able. So, I mean, obviously, a lot of people, a lot of students are able to pick it up really quickly. But that means also CM Life does because we're student media. So, I, I think, I mean, in a way, I don't want to sound like over, over-grandizing our, our role here. But it's like we were kind of the ones who, as far as journalists, we were the ones who had to do it because no one else in town really would have been able to have access to that call. So, um, I, so yeah, I think that was definitely something we did. And you say we didn't do, we didn't do live stream store, but we still, like, Melissa Frick, uh, and wherewithal to record, like, an interview uh, that we did with the cop. Um, and so it's just a bunch of, essentially just a little, I guess you'd say, press conference just outside in the waste of parking <laughs> right. lot. And she recorded that video. And it was a, um, and it was a good interview as well. So, um, yeah, I think that's kind of 
the way we handled it. And again, there wasn't a, much updating because it was over relatively shortly in the grand scheme of things. So Yeah, I mean, overall, a handful of hours. Yeah, so I mean, overall, I mean, it was just kind of a less, if you're going to compare it to the shooting, it's a little more right. uh, just narrowed down. So then one of the pieces of information that was originally given out to students and to us, obviously, was the description of the suspect. And I think we've seen some backlash on that from people on social media. But kind of walk me through, you know, why we put that out there. And then also maybe if you have any insight into how that got put out and was so inaccurate. Um, so this would definitely be a great question for Melissa. I feel bad that she's not yeah. here. She is working on a story exactly about that. She wants to sit down with some campus police officers and just ask how did that description get spread about because we honestly don't know. We don't know how that process works or how yeah. um, how they decide which information gets put in the central alert and which doesn't because yeah. sometimes they do purely what they have and sometimes they hold back a little bit until they have more. But right. in this case, I feel like they added in something that um, didn't necess- necessarily need to be in there. Um, so the reason that we posted it, I was one of the people who was doing social media posting. And I can tell you exactly why I put it in there. I put it in there because everybody had already got that phone call. Everybody exactly. had heard the description. Mm-hmm. So if, for one thing, if we hadn't have published the description, then people would be asking why we hadn't. Yeah. Honestly, like, this is a little bit of a double-edged sword. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. it kind of feels like people are killing the messenger here um we got the exact same phone call as everybody else we didn't get extra information and we didn't have time to go and ask the police to verify that when it had already been in a central alert we we are trusting that the central alert is going to be verified before it gets you know distributed to thousands Mm -hmm. of people so i um when i did the facebook post i put in exactly what we had everything that we had because when you put out a description like that's because you want people to be looking for the person so so when we're posting on social media we want to make sure that people know who they're supposed to be looking out for because the suspect was at large so um it would have been really helpful for people to know okay i need to be looking for somebody who's wearing a you know a gray sweatshirt and a red backwards baseball cap and it's unfortunate that they got the description wrong especially um the race of the suspect, I yeah. feel like that was definitely um, not a great thing. But unfortunately, there's nothing we could have done right. to fix that. We were doing exactly everything we could with the information we had at the time. It's not, unfortunately, in breaking news situations, sometimes inaccurate information gets out there. We try not to have it be us that are um, distributing it, but sometimes it's the police or sometimes it's the authority that we're supposed to be trusting to give us the accurate information that makes the mistake right i would assume like as any student whether you're a journalism student or not when you get those central alerts you pretty much take that as law like that's what's coming through until something else happens so it's not like you know he didn't go to the scene and just make something up and or hear something and Mm -hmm. then just say we're running it Mm -hmm. i mean yeah i mean i I don't uh Um, Yeah, I mean, we had no reason to think that there was anything wrong with it, because Mm -hmm. why would they distribute information that they 
weren't sure about. And I know mm. that they were doing it because they were trying to get it out fast and they wanted people to yeah. look for the suspect. I am a little surprised that when they figured out the description was incorrect that they didn't update it. Right. Because usually yeah. in situations like this, they're giving us constant updates. Like another thing I remember um, a parallel to the shooting was I remember every single hour on the hour that the, the suspect was at large. Message. It was the same exact message, but they were making sure to update us every single hour yeah. to make sure we knew what was going on. And we only got that one initial phone call, and then we got the final. The, the final phone call after they were apprehended. So I am a little surprised that after the description was updated that they didn't, um, you know... Re, yeah, send out like, another yeah, one. Yeah, send out another one or at least, like, address it on social media. Like, we didn't even know what the suspect looked like after we found out that it, all they told us was that there were inconsistencies in the description. Right. They didn't actually yeah. update us with what the suspect looked that, like. That's the one thing I kind of got talking to uh, the police on the scene. Um, we were told... Um, I don't remember. I don't remember everything he said, but I do remember the officer did say, and you can go back and watch it on the video uh, from that night. He said, "Yeah, well, um, we've been getting a lot of inconsistent, you know, descriptions of, of the suspects. So, um, who know? So may, somehow, one way or another, misinformation mis, mis must been must been mis, uh, misconstrued on the on the police end, perhaps." How that managed to change the race, I don't know. I don't. I don't think anyone really knows them. At uh, this yeah. point in time, except maybe for the on-duty officers, um, I, I, I guess uh, I think like Sarah said, Mel's working in that story, so hopefully we'll be able to have that information out soon. So then, looking at kind of how we're following up and how you know O'Kelly's and Wayside instantly followed up, they announced some new security, you know, procedures and different things. What's going into that, and what did you get when you talked with them? Yeah, so this is a story that's getting published literally this afternoon. Is it? Yep. Yep. Right. Um, Andrew has been working on that, so um, you can definitely give some yeah. information about that. Sorry, I was just pulling up my notes. They were nope. covering for me, but then I blew myself <laughs> anyways. Um, you'd think I'd be good at this after podcasting for so long, but guess not. So, um, yeah, so uh, I, I spoke to the owner of uh, Wayside, No Kelly's, and as well as the cabin in Hunter's Ale House, John Hunter. Um, yes, yesterday afternoon of this recording, um, and yeah, pretty much they've, like you said, they've been, they're 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 going to be adding some new security details. One, probably the most significant one being um, they're going to have. I think they bought two uh, handheld metal detector wands that will be used in all points of entry. Uh, into Wayside. There's obviously the one from the out. If you've ever been to Wayside, it's the one from like the outside of the building. And there's like also an entrance in, inside O'Kelly's, which is yeah. connected to Wayside. So they'll be having metal detectors there. They also, they're improving their uh, roof lighting. So better illuminate the parking lot for more safety. They already have a 32 uh, camera system. They'll be up, that they'll add, uh, I think it was 16. Yeah, 16 more. So it'll be 48 cameras now okay. in that building. Um, the and then just gonna be uh, generally updating the protocol system. We're gonna do more uh, staff meetings based on the protocol. Um, from from what from what I got from uh, talking to John Hunter uh, yesterday, he pretty much said, yeah, we we they didn't have a protocol in place and it went by textbook. I think was the word he used. So uh, I mean, obviously you're not pleased with the situation that happened itself. I mean, you can't be. It's you know it's a horrific it's a horrific event. But yeah, um, he said he was at least with the response by his staff um, and. And the way they handled it and the immediate action that many of them took, uh, he said he was overall, um, I, I guess he was 
I, I um, again pleased with, with that, like yeah. their reaction to it. So, right. um, I mean, and they're just so they're just doing some security updates now. Um, so that's pretty much like what what we'll be adding to there. And also, and I don't have a whole lot of information to do, uh, to give you, but um, I sent out a message. To, uh, on, to, uh, to the Encore nightclub downtown and asked if they had metal detectors. And they said, we currently do not, but we are. Um, and then this is just from a Facebook message. I don't have the person to source on this yet. Um, so this is, this is kind of like super, it's kind of a little unverified right now. But basically they said, yes, uh, we are looking into adding metal detectors for our security as well. So it looks like it might not just be a wayside thing. Right. I think it's one of those events that it would seem no one saw coming and now... Encore doesn't want to be the second place in a handful of years. What other follow-ups are we doing besides the John Hunter one and then Melissa's follow-up on how this happened? So um, we're also going to be having follow-ups for as long as the court stuff plays out. The suspect is currently... Um, he was booked in jail. Um, he had his initial arraignment, and so um, he's going to be charged with. Um, I don't exactly remember what the uh, crimes are, but um, he's going to be charged with three counts of assault with intent to yeah. murder and two counts of carrying a dangerous weapon with an unlawful intent. Right. Yeah. So um, he's going to be charged with uh, those um, counts and. Um, so we're just going to keep following that. Um, the legal process takes a really long time. Yeah. So honestly, mm-hmm. uh, we might not see an end to this until early next year. Um, it takes a really long time for them to get uh, criminal proceedings through. So um, we're just going to keep following up with it as long as we know that it's happening. We also have a third reporter, Michael Livingston. He was also on the scene. Um, he's going to be doing a follow-up with students here who were yeah. at Wayside when it happened. I mean, there were a lot of people there. A lot of people saw stuff. So we're just trying to get as many accounts as we can. Just, you know, what was it like being there? What did you see? And hopefully we can start to piece together a little bit of a narrative because I think the thing that um, people are most nervous about right now is we don't really know what happened, how this started. So we're hoping that by getting more, um, you know, accounts from witnesses and people who were there um, that we'll be able to piece together a little bit better of a narrative. Uh, And just a side note, I just got to I just got another Facebook message. Uh, Rick Swindlehurst, the owner of uh, Encore Clubs and many other places um, in Mount Pleasant, he said uh, he's the uh, he's the one who said that the, uh, the the Encore will be, is looking into adding metal detectors. So it might be seeing them there soon. So just wanted to add my verification. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. So the last thing I think I'll ask, and we might not have the answer, but is what is CMU's response to this incident been so far? Are they trying to distance themselves from it, or are they going to be offering, I don't know, unique counseling for this incident? Or, um, so since so this happened in close proximity to CMU, yeah, um, which is why the central alert came out, but it wasn't on campus and yeah. didn't have a ton to do with campus, right? So, um, and this is 
uh, we haven't really talked to like the university a ton about it just because they weren't really heavily involved. Um, CMU police assisted, but um, this was under Mount Pleasant police's jurisdiction and they're the ones who are doing the main investigating. We just had CMU police there because again, it's very close close to to campus. campus, So they were, they were right there. So of course they're going to come and help out anytime they can. Um, from what I've seen, um, we know that a couple of the victims were students as well as the um, suspect. So uh, they posted an update, I think it was on Sunday, um, just saying, like, we verified that um, there were two victims for sure that were students. Um, I'm not sure what's happening because there were three victims. So yeah. I don't know if the third one was or wasn't a student, but we couldn't get that um. verified. Oh, and then um, they also verified that the suspect was a student. Um, Basically, what they said is, you know, we care a lot about the safety of our students, which is why we um, are going to continue alerting people when stuff like this happens. Um, And they put in there, like, the number to the counseling center and stuff like that. I don't think they're offering anything special or specific. Right. um, Because this did happen off campus, an off-campus um, establishment. but yeah. they they did address it because students were involved and so they they need to have some kind of statement right well thank you guys for coming on and kind of giving us even up to the minute information <laughs> that was awesome so thanks for listening and tune in next week <laughs>